You are listening to an audio from Redemption City Church. If you would like to explore more resources or donate to this ministry, go to www.visitredemptioncc.com. In the time before Christ, the Jews went through a time of exile. While in exile, they would build temples scattered away from their homeland. During that time, a city named Ephesus was created by the Greeks and taken by the Romans. Roman rulers would connect the world with Rhodes. Paul was able to capitalize on both. Scattered Jewish temples connected by the Roman Empire Rhodes which led Paul to Ephesus, where he pastored for a while, left and then wrote them the letter, titled Ephesians. The lie is that things will always be the way they are. Broken people, broken churches. The truth is that you can become a new man with a new heart and a new mind. The people who follow Christ can be one body, one church, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father to all. Ephesians. Well, good morning. How are we? Well, I am good in Jesus too. I'm outside enjoying this beautiful weather. You know, we have this coronavirus going on, but I'm excited to be back with you guys through God's common grace of technology to bring and exhort the Word of God today. And so let's just jump into this. If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, I want you to open them to Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to be picking up in just a little bit in verse 7. And so as we continue forward in our our Ephesians series titled Our Story into God's Story, it's all about discovering who we are in light of Christ. And what's so awesome is we've been learning about that in chapters one through three. And now as we transition, we've been in the last couple parts into chapter four. It's now all about discovering what we are now and then called to do. And so last month, it's been that long, right? Last month on March 8th, we had our last sermon just across the street at the Arbory. I'm over here at the Arbory right now. I thought that would be symbolic. And so just on March 8th, across the street, we had our um, part 14 of the Ephesians series, and it was titled God's Unexpected Remedy for All Calamities. And so we just had a review of this last week, right, for Easter 2020. And so if you did not listen in last week, let me give you a little reminder of what we discussed in part 14. We learned that God made you with a purpose for such a time as this to simply be you, right? To simply, but somehow supernaturally in Christ to be you. We learned that the Holy Spirit always is at peace and so that we don't find our peace in our circumstances and relationships, but that we are to lean upon the word of God to draw near to the Holy Spirit because that is where we find our peace. We learned that we have been given a special measure of grace and that we've been called by God to dwell in unity and to examine our calling. And so Pastor Jack has taken us on a beautiful journey over the last couple of sermons of really talking about that unity comes from a type of love. And so he covered that over the past two weeks. We also learned that all of God's gifts that he gives is for one purpose, because we're going to be looking at purposes today, right? And we're going to be looking at our gifts today. And so what is the purpose of the gifts God gives? It's for one thing, so that the church might grow up into maturity. And so we're going to be talking about that more today. 
We also talked about this, that one of the craziest things that people believe, right? One of the craziest things that people believe is that their marriages or having enough money or traveling, that these things will satisfy them. We learned that these things ultimately do not satisfy. And then finally, we, we learned that despite our request for the Lord to solve and to resolve all of our problems with like a presto snap of our fingers right now moment, God oftentimes says no to that. And instead, he works on changing the world and changing our circumstances by changing you and changing me one soul at a time. And that brings us to today to part 15 of our Ephesians series, and it's titled Our Spiritual Gifts and Talents Explained. This will be a two-part conversation. This is segment A, titled The Five Major gifts. And so we're going to be looking at segment A today, and I'm super excited. And remember, this is our aim for the entire Ephesians series. It's been our aim on part one. It will be our aim when we conclude in chapter six, and it's this. No matter who you are, whether you have listened to Ephesians multiple times, whether you have your master's degree in biblical theology, or this is the first time you're opening up the Bible for the first times, and you're trying to figure out what Ephesians is all about, our hope at Redemption City Church is that you would have a living encounter with the God of the universe in Ephesians, like you've never had before. Okay, so let's just jump right into this 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 text in verse 7 very shortly and let's do this. So basically we have Paul as, as a reminder and he's under a light chain house arrest and he's writing to the church in Ephesus, right? And he's instructing them on what they are now called to do. And so remember we talked about this last time. Paul's been saying in chapters 1 through 3, God said this and God said that and God has done this and God has done that and God has given this and God has provided that. And now, because of all of what God has said, because of all of what God has done, we're now transitioning into chapter 4 and it's like, hey, in light of all that, you are now called to do this. Now it's your turn to get into the game. So think about it this way. When someone gives you a hug, right? We've all gotten a hug. Most of us are going to respond and we're going to reciprocate that hug by hugging them back. It's a natural human response when things are safe and appropriate to reciprocate one's hand gesture of a handshake or a hug or um, anything of those natures. Well, this is also true in our spiritual lives. When we understand that the Lord has given us the most massive proverbial spiritual hug of gifts and blessing and riches and this position of adoption, the natural response of a healthy son or daughter of the Lord is to reciprocate that hug by hugging the God of the universe back. So this will lead you to, this should kind of awaken this question in you. What does it even mean to give God a spiritual hug in return? What does that look like? Here's what it is. To give God a spiritual hug in return means to get involved radically in his mission. And we do that by just being ourselves, somehow being simply who he's created you to be, yet supernaturally by the power of the Holy Spirit to be all that God has created you to be. And then you take who God has called you to be, all the purposes and the gifts he's wrapped up inside of you, and you serve God with them, with all your heart all your mind and all your soul. That's what it means to provide a spiritual hug to God in return. And so, man, one of the favorite things going on in my life right now, even in this season of the coronavirus pandemic, is going through this book of Ephesians, honestly, because I get to be reminded on a daily basis of just how much God has done for me. And that makes me not want to waste my life. I want to, I want to serve God with all my heart, mind, and soul. And so this happens all the time with our kids as well, doesn't it? Like, don't we just desire to squeeze our children with this type of hug of love and affection, our attention, our wisdom, believing that as we do that for our children, it's going to produce something amazing in them. 
It's got to produce something lasting and good for them. Now, in fact, did you know this? That psychologists say that in young children who grow up lacking physical and appropriate touch and hug and affections and words of deep affections repetitively, usually develop issues later on in life with attachment disorders, relationship issues, and the inability to know comfortably how to love other people well, especially when they don't have that from their fathers. Now, now here's some good news. Did you know that children between the ages of 6 and 16 who are loved physically and appropriately, particularly by males, father figures, out of that, much fruit statistically is shown in their health emotionally. So as we embrace our hugs of affection and love, so also we get to do that from our spiritual perspective with our Heavenly Father. As we lean into who God has called us to be and we allow Him to spiritually hug us with His grace and His mercy and His affection and His calling upon our lives, and we reciprocate that, that affectionate hug by giving our life away, laying down our desires and saying, God, have your way, we get to be activated and we get to live a vibrant life. Now I want you to lean in. If we, if, if I do this, if you do this, if we try to go around hugging ourselves all the time and we try to satisfy our own desires and we try to do things in our own strength, how many know it always leaves you frustrated and totally exhausted. Therefore, if you are the type of person that's always striving to be a good Christian, you're always trying to serve a bunch of people, right? Trying to serve everybody when you're trying to be a good person and live a good life, but you're not letting God do the work in you. If you're not sitting under the weight of his love, under his grace, his mercy, you're always going to feel like you're in a spiritual prison where you're trying to earn God's respect by the things you're doing with your efforts and your work, instead of loving and, 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 and loving that the fact that God values you, that he loves you, that he's provided for you, that he's given you good gifts, that you've been adopted, forgiven, redeemed. All your efforts, all your work is a response to that. It's not to earn. Okay, so now I want to jump right into verse 7 and 8, and let's see what the word of the Lord is sharing with us today. I'm going to give you a chance to turn to verses 7 and verse 8. This, here's what the word of the Lord says. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. That is, that is good, good news. So right in this text, Paul is literally freaking out right here as he's looking upon the nature and the glorious renown and the capacity of God. Remember this, God descended into hell, right, to pay for our sin and our shame and our transgressions. And the very first thing he does when he ascends is he goes, he goes around passing out presents and all these good gifts. Like, don't ever, ever, ever again let this passage of scripture just kind of move past you without letting the heavy weight of this reality sit on you. Listen, we literally murdered our creator. We murdered the God of the universe. Are you tracking with me? We murder the one who gave us life. And the very first thing he does after coming back from death, paying for our sin and our shame and our transgressions is he hands out undeserved presence to each and every one of us. Let this permeate over your souls even more right now. Okay, let's, let's keep tracking. Let's keep reading verses 9 and 10. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth? 
He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. All right, pay attention, because this is literally the gospel message. Paul is saying, God went to heaven. He ascended to heaven and he gave out gifts in the process. Listen, everything we deserve, everything we've done wrongly, he took it to hell and he left it there. So what we've been learning, this is the gospel message. Therefore, we got to stop letting our pain and our shame and our guilt enslave our lives. You've been set free. I've been set free by Jesus. Lean in. We got to start understanding the character of God so that we can access the peace of God. I'm going to say that for you one more time. We have to begin to understand the character of our Heavenly Father if we want to be able to experience the peace of our Heavenly Father. Because if you do not know Him, you will not understand how to have peace in Him. And Jesus says His best Himself, actually, in John chapter 3, verses 16 through 17. Let's take a look. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Like, can't you see? you got to let Jesus in. Because he's came to rescue you, to renew you, to redeem you. You have to wake up out of your dead body and your dead soul of your negative thinking, your self-doubt, your sin, your shame, your mistakes, your past, and let God get to work in you and through you. This is the message. This is the hope of Christ. This is the gospel message. But check this out. Not only, this is, this is beautiful news, not only did God forgive you and save you, he then has called you to live a certain way, to give you a new identity, to give you a new purpose. And then he generously lavishes and equips you and me with all the things that we're going to need to now live and act in a new transformed Romans chapter 12 type of a way. And part of that is in giving us these good gifts, this ultimate joy of these good gifts that we're going to be talking about today. Like that's literally insane. I want, you, I want you to imagine this with me. Like, what if Jesus just literally died and paid for our sin and that was it? That, what if that's all he did? What if he paid for our sin and that was it? Like, what if Jesus died on the cross, took all of our sin and shame to hell, left it there, came back, balanced our scale to zero, and, and, and basically said, hey, you're no longer guilty. Your balance has been set back to zero. You're good. And then imagine that we were like, oh, okay, uh, thank you, Lord. We've been set back to zero, but what do you want us to do now? What are we called to do now? And then imagine if Jesus would have said, well, I've already balanced your scale to zero, so just don't blow it again in your life. Because if you do, you're going to have to pay the price on your own. I've already done the hard work. So you're on your own now. I've paid the price. The scale's back to zero. You're on your own. Like, wouldn't that be an incredible pressure to live with? Like, what, what if we were literally on our own after Jesus paid for our sins and balanced the scales? But praise Christ, that is not what Christ does, does he? He not only pays for all of our sin and balances our scale back to zero, he then supplies after balancing our scale to zero by giving us amazing gifts. I keep saying that for the last three sermons. He gives good gifts to propel us forward, to move us out of just being spiritually impoverished, bankruptcy, to now being spiritually rich, incredibly rich. He moves us out of poverty into wealth. 
He not only removes the problem, he equips us with what we need by bestowing upon us with special gifts so that we would now be more powerful in Christ than we ever could be separate from him. Therefore, we move from being a part of the problem to in Christ being a part of the solution. It's called grace and mercy, folks. You see, it's the mercy of God that takes away all of our sin, and it's the grace of God that enables us to live and to worship God more fully within our lives. And that, that is good news. Okay, so then in verse 11, which is going to be our focus study verse for today, Paul talks about these, these gifts that were given to men and to women that align with who we have been uniquely and specially called to be. And listen, there's going to be two types of gifts that we kind of have, okay? We have natural talents. I want you to think through it this way as we start to kind of prepare. We have natural talents that we're, we are all born with. So the moment, the moment that we are born into this world, we have natural talents that we are born with. Um, and then we have special and specific spiritual gifts that come at the time of our rebirth. So as we say yes to the Lord and we enter into our decision in Christ, the Word of God says that at that time of our rebirth, we are given spiritual gifts. So lean in with me. You are talented. You got to accept that. You are naturally talented. Now, you may not be as talented as the most talented person in the world. You may not be as talented as the person sitting next to you right now watching the sermon. But make no mistake about it. You have talents. They're not mine. They're not anybody else's. They're yours. You're born with them. God gave you these natural talents. And then when you were reborn, when your spirit came renewed and alive and transformed again, God gave you spiritual, supernatural, Holy Spirit inspired gifts to use for the mission and the renown of God's name. Therefore, when, when God redeems your natural talents, you track with me? Meaning, what are these natural talents? It's, it's your disposition, your personality, your height, your strength, your depth, your, your skill sets, your, your inclinations and, and your desires and all, all these things, these natural parts of you, right? When God redeems these things and when you decide to give all these natural talents back to the God of the universe and, you, and he kind of then downloads it and adds to it with something far superior, namely your spiritual gifts that he wants to give you, the combination of your natural talents that you're born with and your God-given supernatural Holy Spirit inspired gifts come upon you. The collision of both these things make you a powerful, humble vessel for the Lord. And that is what it means to be a Bible-believing, Christ-exalting Christian. It's to be one born with natural gifts, inclinations, that you submit to the God of the universe, then to lean in and to accept the spiritual gifts that God bestows upon you, to use both of them for the glory of God, to move out of being spiritual, spiritually dead and into spiritual life. So to be the sum total of your natural gifts redeemed by Christ, colliding with your spiritual gifts makes you a Bible-believing, Christ-exalting, functional Christian. Okay, let's keep going. Verses 11 through 13. Here's the word of the Lord. It says, and he, namely Jesus, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. Okay, these are the gifts, the offices he's given. Verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge 
of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Wow, that's, that's amazing. You see, we've seen this verse now a couple times over the past few sermons, right? So for those who are listening in today, think, think well with me. If you are reading the Bible and you are generally living a life where you are repenting of your sin, if you are forgiving others as God has forgiven you, if you are focusing on being you simply yet supernaturally in Christ yourself, God will sustain you. Listen to me. You are a part of Christ's personality and persona. And let me tell you a little something about Christ's personality and persona. He is more deep. He is more wide. He is more majestic. He is more forgiving. He is more redeeming. He is more filled with justice and mercy than you can ever imagine. And somehow, incredibly, supernaturally, he invites you and me and all of our broken pieces to be a part of that. Like that should humble us. We get to be a part of that. That's why I try to take out time every single day of my life to remember just how dead to rights I truly am and how much God remains ferociously devoted to me despite my sin and my muck and my mire. And he does incredible things through me for his glory despite that reality. And that should humble me and that should humble you. This is the truth that should always recenter our focus in the times that we don't want to lean into God. When we remember that we were dead to rights, but he loved us. He died for us. He gave us these good gifts. Let's look at um, Ephesians verses, Ephesians, sorry, verse 14. Here's the why. So that, why did he do this? Why did he give out these gifts? He gave these gifts so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and de deceitful schemes. All right, so I have a quick question for you. Have you ever been deceived into doing something wrong that at the time you weren't so sure was wrong? Like, have, has that ever happened to you? Like, and then afterwards, over time, you looked back and you thought to yourself, like, what in the world was I thinking? Like, how could I ever have followed that person into doing such a thing? How could I believe that was going to be okay? Or, or how about, why would I ever believe that about myself? How did I allow these people to make me believe this false, this falsity about myself? You see, the Bible says that that is an example of the human cunning and craftiness and deceitfulness as the flesh tries to demand its own way. So here's a quick warning that I want you to, to pay attention to. Anytime someone's trying to make you do something in your life, instead of helping you to think on your own for understanding, that is a dangerous sign that human cunningness and craftiness may be at work. Now, this doesn't mean that we don't need discipleship and mentoring going on in our lives, but, but make no mistake, all discipleship and all of mentorship should always be a guidance helping us to learn how to think well as individuals to grow ourselves up as a confident individual thinker of Christ so that we can dwell in unity together. Because remember, the goal is to reach maturity in Christ. No one can do that for you. And so every disciple, every mentor should be helping us along the journey to being confident thinkers so that we can be simply but supernaturally who God has called us to be. 
The goal is always to grow in discernment and confidence as you walk your steps of sanctification in life. That's what you want to be praying to God for in your life, to, to guard yourself from the deceitfulness and the cunningness that's being spoken about in that verse. That's what you want to be, ple you want to be pleading to God to provide in your life. That's the type of team and friends that you want surrounding you to spur you on. And that's definitely the type of discipleship you want to be involved within your life. The overall goal is to grow in your discernment as you're growing closer and deeper to the Holy Spirit, even if you can't put words on it. The Holy Spirit will give you a compass that discerns right from wrong, whether you can put words on it. Okay, let's let's keep going. We're just op I'm just opening up for you today. All right, here we go. Verse 15. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up. So instead of being caught up in, in human kindness and deceitfulness, rather, we are to speak the truth in love. We are to grow up in every way. I love that. In every single way. In our character, in our wisdom, in our understanding, in our maturity, in our emotional health. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. And so what Paul is saying is that even though we're commanded to know right from wrong, to discern right from wrong, to speak right from wrong. And even though we're called to understand truth from false and to speak truth and not falsities, we're, com we're commanded to do that in love. This is important. Now, why am I taking all this time to talk about this? Because today, as we just kind of barely scratch the surface into opening up this conversation about gifts, we have to understand that they come with a great responsibility. And we have to act upon this responsibility in love. Like, did you, did you know that it's actually possible to disagree with someone and still love them? Now, of course, let me be honest, in the world and the culture, in our society that we're living in, it's becoming harder and harder to do both, isn't it? We're living in a, in a culture where if you disagree with someone, they automatically think you don't love them. This is, we see this all the time. If you don't accept me, if you don't agree with me, then you don't love me. If you disagree with me, you are my arch enemy. So even though it's really difficult to do this whole love and truth, grace and truth thing, the Bible says that Bible-believing, Christ-exalting Christians, that's, that, that's me, and, and hopefully th that's you, the Bible says that we're going to be anointed with a special ability and balance to do both. That the, the Holy Spirit's going to activate and live within us in a way where we'll be able to say, you know what? Hey, brother and sister, I, I don't see it this way. Like I'm coming from a different worldview than you. Uh, um, I, I serve Jesus Christ. I see what you're saying. I respect you and I love you. And man, I'm going to honor you to the best of my ability. But what you're saying right now or what you're doing right now is not right. It's not true. And I don't agree with you. So yes, it's a very difficult thing to do. It's very difficult to love someone and have a type of connection with them that doesn't cross into an unhealthy place where you're dwelling in relationship with them. But the Bible says that you and I can do it, that the Holy Spirit will show us the way. Because our goal as a church, right? Keep tracking, Redemption City Church and the global church. Our, 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 our goal, our aim as a church is to model this so that we can get to work and start flexing our spiritual muscles of the faith that we are not conformed to this world. Romans chapter 12. We are to be transformed into a new way of thinking. So we don't want to shut people out. We don't want to isolate ourselves on Halloween and on these holidays. We, 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 but we do want to figure out how to live our lives in a God-glorifying way.
right? Remember, Jesus died for us, right? That was an example of his love. But he never compromised. He never compromised the truth. He always made it clear when we were doing something wrong. He stood upon truth. Okay, well, let's keep going. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 16. From whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Okay, so now before I pray for wisdom as we prepare to kind of jump in a in more direct conversation right now on spiritual gifts, I want you to conceptualize what Paul is saying in all these verses with me. Paul is saying because, what, because of what Jesus has done, we now have the opportunity to grow to mature, to respond, to serve, to act, and to follow Jesus in a way that is counter-sin and counter-cultural. Yet, it's going to be done in such a way that the love of God is on display so that we might join Jesus in his mission to make himself known on the earth. Okay, here we go. I got some good news. Paul is saying that our entire purpose and our calling that we're examining is literally wrapped up around that truth. Are you tracking? If not, rewind and listen to what I just said. Our whole purpose and our calling and our examining is wrapped up in that reality. Therefore, listen, it is time to grow up. People of God, as I'm sitting here across the street from the Arbory in the coronavirus pandemic, I am calling you to grow up. I'm calling myself to grow up. It's time to allow the Lord to take the reins of your life to move you forward. You don't have to figure it all out right now in the sermon. You don't have to know everything. You don't have to see all the steps of your life right now, but you have to get to the point where you say, Lord, I wanna grow up. I'm done doing it my way. I want to grow up. In fact, here's the question that I have for you. It's gonna be on the screen. In what way or ways is it time for you to grow up spiritually that you have been ignoring within your life? Because we can't have a conversation, folks, about spiritual gifts if we're not willing to answer this question. These are roadblocks. In what way or ways is it time for me to grow up spiritually so that I can stop ignoring what God has for me within my life? Now, let me tell you why this is so, so important this morning. It's important because there are people that are waiting for you that God has specifically called you to minister to. Like I think about my life in these big pivotal moments where I could have chosen light or darkness to trust God or to not trust God, to follow God and to not follow God. And I imagine the lives that he has allowed me in his grace and mercy to touch. And I imagine if I would have chosen to not follow God in those seasons and the people who would not have been impacted. I think about those who are mentoring right now in my life. And, 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 and it scares me to my, to my core. Like, literally, did you know that God has people specifically for you with your gifts and your talents to touch and no one else? We have to get in the game. That's why we finally have to lean in and examine our purpose and our calling. We need to understand our giftings because we have to stop being lost boys and lost girls on the planet with no aim in our lives living aimlessly. 
we got to lift up to a purpose and a calling and a gift set given to us by the God of the universe that will last us to eternity. So let's pray right now. Let's invite God into this conversation as we kind of transition to the second half of this, this sermon. I want you to lean in with me. I want you to focus as we take the first little step of this whole conversation on gifts. Let's bow our heads right now on the couch, at the kitchen table, in your bathroom. Let's bow our heads and let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the things we've been talking about so far this morning, the things you've already done in our lives that we cannot even fully understand. You have removed our sin from us. You didn't just throw it away, but you absorbed them. Then you paid the ultimate price. You suffered brutally on the cross. Man, why would you do that, Lord? Why would you suffer so badly? But we know why. It's because our sin deserves such a penalty of agony. So you did that for us, God. And then you rose from the dead out of the hell because hell couldn't keep you there. You were perfect. So you let captives free. You came with peace and good gifts. Man, you did that for us. You said, I'm going to make you a man. I'm going to make you a woman in my own image. I'm going to make you tall. I'm going to make you short. I'm going to make you capable of this and that. You gave us talents. You gave us gifts. We want to use these gifts. We want them to be anointed and permeating by the power of the Holy Spirit within us. So God, as we move forward, help us. We just want to be ourselves, simply yet supernaturally in Christ, who you've called us to be. We don't want to be anybody else, God. So help us. Show us the way. Use me today as an available vessel for your kingdom and for your purposes. It's in your beautiful name we pray. Amen. Okay, so the last time I was preaching out of this very same passage, I asked a question in part 14. And the question we started the sermon with was this, how is it going in the world? How is it going? And then remember, I followed up with, a, with the next question, so what happens next? And what should be our response as Christ followers? And so we all agreed, the answer is, what's going, where are we at in the world? The world's gone, it's going horrible. The world has gone nuts. We all agreed about, we, we agreed upon that. Things are bad, they're terribly, terribly bad. There are shootings, there are prejudices, there are murders, there are attacks, there's natural problems like floods and fires and earthquakes and tornadoes. Then you get people getting sick and there's diseases and illnesses. Then you get people with moral failures and divorce and sexual sin and all these things. Things, how are things going in the world? They're going, they're going terrible. Therefore, we made the conclusion that most good and decent people want things to change, change for the better that every generation within every single culture has been looking in their time for change and that we often are asking God to bring about that change. Okay, so here's the deal. You and I have got to get that Acts chapter 1 verse 8 mindset into our biblical worldview in a real way. We need to understand that the disciples literally wanted Jesus to fix everything for them. They wanted him to arrest the bad, just like we do, right? We want people to arrest the bad, we want, we want Jesus to arrest the bad guys, to take over the politics, to have better, better gun control. We want better presidents, we want better schools, we want no, no sickness, but Jesus, but he said no. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. I'm not here to fix it in the ways you want me to, at least not yet. But until then, remember, you shall receive power from the Holy Spirit and you shall be my witnesses in Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the world. Now, 
I want to say one other thing, and this is my own personal philosophy, but I do estimate um, that this is very biblical. And I want to say one thing that um, I want to share with you that I, I often realize. Okay, here we go. When the world goes crazy, when people die young, when babies die, when people are violent and they commit abuse, when mental illness creeps in, when things erupt, to me, I see biblically it's the Lord keeping his end of the bargain. What are you, what are you, what are you saying, Pastor Brandon? Let, let me explain. Like, I, I really believe this is what God is saying. Hey, I don't change. Like I told my kids, Adam and Eve, that the day that they ate from that fruit, pain, torment, and difficulty and sadness would come. So don't do it. It's like God was saying, as a matter of fact, let me provide every single other alternative. I'm gonna give you many beautiful trees, every single beautiful fruit for you to eat from so that you will be fully filling my love and that you'd be satisfied in that. But we all know how that story went, right? Eve got tricked and seduced. Adam stood passively, cowardly by his wife when that happened and they both ate from the fruit of the tree that they shouldn't have and God said, oh man, why'd you have to go and do that? Life is gonna to be tough now. Marriage is gonna be difficult. Raising kids is gonna be difficult. Bearing children is gonna be difficult. Maintaining and establishing healthy, God-centered relationships and friendships are gonna be difficult. Be working or being motivated to work is going to be difficult. Everything is going to be difficult. But God, in his love, immediately declared, Genesis chapter three, but I'm gonna send my son, he's gonna come, and he's going to fix it one day, and he's gonna do it in a permanent, eternal, eternal way. So when things get difficult in our lives, we gotta understand this. We'll go around, God, where are you at? Where are you at, God? Where are you at in my circumstances? Where are you at in my illness? Listen, when things go difficult, in my estimation, it's the Lord saying, well, don't be deceived or shocked, I am God and I am not to be mocked. You reap what you sow. And not just currently in our lives, but originally, namely the original sin in, in, in the Garden of Eden. So the whole tidal wave of life, this tsunami of sin that came out of the original sin is still surging and taking lives out. You tracking? This is a result of Eden. But Jesus is right there in the midst of this, this original tidal wave, the tsunami that's still kind of fleshing out over our lands. And he's saying, I'm not going to stop this tsunami of sin. I'm not, I'm going to let it run its course because I said that I would. You see what I'm saying? Jesus is keeping his word. He says what he says. He keeps his word. I'm going to let it run its course like I said it would. But here's the good news. But I'm going to be right there with you, for you, redeeming you throughout the whole process. You tracking? It's like God is saying, to those who respond willingly to my call and say, yes, Lord, I'm gonna save them and use them and let them shine through the storm. Not that I'm gonna eradicate the storm, but I'm gonna allow them to shine and last through the storm. It's almost like God is saying, hey, listen, sons and daughters, the storm is, not maybe, is going to hit you. You're going to get mud all over you. But in the midst of it, I'm going to protect you. It's not going to actually impact you from an eternal perspective. You are secure and stable in me. Okay, so pay attention. 
life may not get easier, but the Bible says that it gets better. Isn't that good news? I'm going to say it again. Life may not get easier for you ever. Somebody needs to tell you the gospel truth because this hurts people. I, 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 I gave my life to God. Why is my life getting easier? Oftentimes our life gets harder. So your life may not get easier, but the Bible promises that your life will get better. Life will get better because you will have more purpose. You will have more passion and you have more eternal perspectives for you to joyfully pursue that will not be conditional upon your daily circumstances. So the real question is, is Jesus real to you in your life? Is Jesus real to you in your life? Like, has he actually changed you? And I can tell you personally, for me, 100% yes, he is, and yes, he has. Because without him, my life personally would be doomed and destructive. Because I know what I'm capable of, folks, without Jesus, trust me, and it's not good. It's filled with wickedness and sin. And that's why Jesus came along for me and for you to give us a new mission and a new character, which then launches us in a totally radically new direction. Are you hearing me? Let me say it again. Jesus came along to give us a new mission, supplying us with a new character that leads us in a better direction for our lives. Okay, but when are you going to tell me about my gifting? I'm trying. You've got to have the character of God, chapters one through three, filled with a righteous mission from God chapters 1 through 6 so that you can use your gifts well and wisely so when you are new in Christ when you are reborn again you receive a new identity and a new purpose and a new direction and with that and with that your spiritual gifts come into play so here's your first big takeaway it's your only big takeaway today it's on the screen for your fill-ins. The point of today's message is to set the stage for each person listening in to grow in their understanding of what gifts are made available to them by the God of the universe. This would lead to a greater opportunity to discover and integrate one's gifts, talents, calling, purpose, so that you would settle in and say, here I am. Lord, I'm on your team and I'm ready. I'm ready to go. Okay. So what does this look like? What does it look like to say I'm ready to go? It just means being yourself in Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit to be yourself. It means to examine the gifts that God's giving you. I'm going to help you with that as your pastor and then to put them into action and to use them. Now there are two frameworks that I want us to think about wisely today uh, as we get ready to explore our gifts for the rest of the sermon and then diving deeper next week. Okay. There are two frameworks. Ready? There's the framework of, I have to do something. And then there's the framework of, I get to do something. So let's do some examples. I'm a Christian now. So I, I, I have to go to church. What a bummer. Or I get to spend time together in my father's house. What an amazing opportunity. You tracking with me? How about this one? Man, I have to go to church so that I, so I can help pay their bills. What a drag. Or, man, I get to share and give back what already belongs to God in my finances. I get this 
amazing and radical opportunity to see God multiply my resources far beyond what I could ever do myself. How legit is that? Here's another one. Uh, I guess I have to go to the homeless shelter and, you know, serve and give my time, but I really, really hate doing that. And I don't like, they kind of smell. Or I get to take time out of my schedule to ease other people in suffering. Someone who's less fortunate than me. How humbling and gracious is the Lord to give me that opportunity. Here, here, here's one more. I have to love my spouse and I have to do all these specific things. And man, I really don't feel like it. It's no fun. I just want to do what I want to do when I feel like doing it. Or, man, I get this awesome opportunity to love and to honor and to serve my husband or to love and honor and serve my wife, this beautiful creation given to me by the God of the universe to steward. How blessed am I? Can't you see? There's two frameworks. I have to or I get to in all relationships, in all things, when it comes to our relationship with Jesus. Nothing is different in our spiritual gifts. You can approach this conversation for the rest of the sermon and next week on, oh, I got to do this now, or I get this amazing opportunity because God descended into hell. He paid for my sin, my shame, my transgressions. He lifted out of hell because hell couldn't keep him there. And as he did that, he gave me good gifts. And he gave me this gift and now I get to do something with it. Praise Christ. You see, as you begin to make your decision in Christ and experience this walk with the Lord, and as you begin to discover, and we're gonna do that, I believe that by faith, over this next couple of weeks, and we're gonna continue this conversation, as you begin to discover your spiritual gifts, you're gonna have a very, very important decision to make regarding whether you have to do something with them or whether you get to do something with them. And here's my argument. And here's what I believe Paul's argument is in scripture. If you live your life by the anthem of, I have to do something, you're not gonna last very long. Instead, it's about stepping into the reality that you get to do these things because Christ loved you. And we need to be ferocious about reminding ourselves every single day, I get to participate in the kingdom of God. Hey, I wouldn't put that on my wall. It's on one of my results. I get to participate in the kingdom of God and Christ's mission every day. Praise Christ. And now we get to serve. So regardless whether you feel like you have tons of money or not a lot of money, whether you feel super uber talented or you feel like you don't have any talents, I want you to understand that God has created you supernaturally to do amazing things as a man of God or as a woman of God. You've got to lean in. Whether you're ever on a stage, whether you ever go viral is irrelevant. God has a specific work for you to do. And I'm hoping that you begin to step into that more and more within your life. And how do you begin to take that first step? So how do I take that first step, Pastor Brandon? How do I begin to position myself to prepare myself for these spiritual gifts? It starts like this. Say yes, Lord. No, seriously. Say yes, Lord, at every single opportunity you get within your life. No matter what it is, Lord, I say yes. No matter how difficult it is, I'm going to lean in. I'm going to say yes, Lord. Because as you do that, you're going to step into the power that Christ has offered you. Now, listen carefully as I say this slowly. Jesus gave the Holy Spirit as a gift. Tracking? The Holy Spirit made the way for us to be a church. And in the church, there are spiritual gifts. I want you to see this, this flow, this crescendo of gifting, okay? I'm gonna say it again. 
Jesus gave us the Holy Spirit as a gift via the Pentecost. The Holy Spirit made it possible for us to come together as a church body. And within our church body are spiritual gifts. And there's going to be certain gifts that I have that you're going to need from me to make you better in your life. And there's going to be certain gifts that you have that I'm going to need you to use to make my life better. And we're going to share them and trade them and mix them all around in this beautiful, incredible, incredibly beautiful way. Oh, now, let's look at verse 7 again in the text. Because this is important. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, we must all remember that all spiritual gifts that we're going to look at today start with grace. They start with grace. So when I stand before you this morning preaching Ephesians, I get to. I don't have to, but I get to do what I do. I get to use my gifts, and it's very, very rewarding. But hear me out. I always know, and I work hard to never forget who I am apart from grace. So whatever good you see in me, whatever good you see in Redemption City Church, it all comes from grace. All right, now let's look at verse 11, our main text. What are these gifts? What did he give? And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. Wow. Now, I just love how it says Jesus gave these gifts or offices. That Jesus is the one that is primarily building his church. Not you, not me. Jesus did this. He provided these five gifts, these five offices. So in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus and Paul were talking and Jesus said, Hey, Peter, here's the keys to the kingdom of heaven. And I'm going to build my church and, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. This was the good news. Jesus was proclaiming even then to Peter, Hey, I'm going to build my church. I'm going to build my church. And I'm going to build it this way. Now, why is that super important? Because we need to understand if this is what Jesus prescribed and he laid out that the church would be, would be built by us, through us, to be his hands and feet, through these gifts, we have to trust that he knows what he's doing. We can't say, well, but I don't feel like I fit into one of these gifts. Hey, the God of the universe, Jesus, the God-man wrapped in flesh, said, I'm going to build my church this way. And here are the gifts that are going to be needed. And my children are going to be activated within these gifts. We have to trust that God knows what he's talking about. Because don't we all sometimes wonder, does Jesus really know what he's doing? Don't we often, we say that sometimes, don't we? Like, does he really know? Like, I don't feel like I fit into any one of these gifts. Does he really know what he's doing? But Colossians chapter 1, 17 says, he holds all things together in his hands. This means Jesus knows exactly what he's doing. He holds all things together, including his church and how he's designed it and how he's called us specifically to, to work it out to live it out as a church body. Therefore, he sets up the church in this way with these five offices and these five gifts. And these five offices or gifts are for the purpose of edifying the body. This is good news. This is good news. And each of you, this is including me, we all fit into one of these five categories. You tracking? We all fit into one of these categories. Some more perfectly than others. Some with some overlap of multiple gifts. Some of us have one, some have, have multiple, right? But today, I'm just gonna go through them really briefly. 
Now, I'm not going to go too deep, too robust. We're going to start landing the plane in the next 20 minutes or so. Um, but we're going to look at some more nitty-gritty next week. But today, we're going to set some things up. I'm going to introduce these five gifts, okay? And then next week, we're going to nuance it and fillet it open some more. And we'll look at other gifts and some other peripheral things. But all of us need to understand this. We all fall into one of these five categories, some more than one category, some one, some two, some, some three. Okay, so here we go. Let's do this. Let's look at these five gifts and let's explore where you may find yourself. Here we go. Here's the first gift in no particular order. The first gift is apostles. The apostles are the ones who govern the entire global church. You tracking with me? These are the people that are governing the entire global church. So what can we know about this office or this gift of being an apostle? Okay, think about it this way. They have a broader concern and care for the local and global church. You tracking with me? They are the, these, are, these are people that have the gift of just being um, radically concerned with what's going on in the whole world about what Christ is doing. Now, one apostle was Jesus, and then he appointed 12 more apostles, right? And then those apostles sent out other apostles. And today the Holy Spirit appoints those with the gift of apostleship. Now, I do not, listen carefully, I do not believe that there are apostles living in this gift or office in the same way that they were in Jesus' days, like the 12 disciples. That's not what I see in scripture, and that is not our theology here at Redemption City Church. But I do believe that there are those individuals who are gifted with the apostolic calling, such as church planters or people who have a unique and special concern and care for the church in their community and the world around them. Now, there are many of us, right, that don't have that kind of deep, kind of natural concern and desire to know what's going on around the world. And that's okay. You may not have that gift. I don't, I don't personally have that gift. But there are those who have the apostolic gifting and inclination that just causes a deep permeating concern and care and sensitivity to just want to know what's happening on a deeper level and how, this, how we're all working in unity around the world as a church family. This is true. So regardless of whether people are carrying or bearing the name as an apostle, I want us to know that the apostolic qualities are alive and well today in our world. Think Rick Warren or Craig Rochelle or Francis Chan. Maybe you've heard of some of these people. Maybe it's yourself. But there are individuals God has called who have a kind of global care for the body of Christ that kind of really, um, they're just gifted to think well in that. So maybe, just maybe, God has given you that gift. We'll talk about this more next week and how you can discover more about yourself. Here's gift number two, the prophets. All right, so the gift of of prophecy, what what is this? Prophets are the ones who guide the church. It's for your fill-in. Prophets are the one who guide the church. So what can we know about this office or gift of being a prophet? Okay, those with the gift of, of prophecy Um, They want to warn and lead and rebuke and exhort the church. They have this type of near-to-the-Lord lifestyle and presence about them. You tracking with me? Their ear is especially near to the scriptures, and they have great understanding, and they don't fall easily for deception. Does that sound like you? You don't fall easily 
and you're not easily deceived. Now, let's just be honest. There is so much controversy around this office and gift, and rightfully, there are several wacky practices out there um, that are hurtful, that are dangerous, and really are unbiblical going on. They're, they're not true. But hear me out. This gift, this office, is alive and well. Prophecy still stands. So think about this less as the type and form of prophecy that you would think about when you read the Old Testament and focus more on a more discerning and sobering definition that I just laid out. And I'm going to say it for you again. Those with the prophetic gift are primarily those who have the gift to have an ear that is especially near to the scriptures with right understanding. They are people that are less easily tempted to fall for deception and they can understand the Bible on a great and deep level. So for now, I want you to think about the gift of prophecy in this way, because maybe, just maybe, God has given you this gift to have an ear that is just so near to the Word of God that you can see really, really well. Okay, let's lay out this third gift briefly. The gift of being an evangelist, okay? So what does that mean? An evangelist are the ones who gather the church, okay? Evangelists are the ones who gather the church. So what can we know more about this officer gift of the evangelist? These are people that have this gift especially love non-believers they love revivals they love messy stories they love making they love making new relationships and outreach events and witnessing to people who don't know christ they love reaching people that are far from god it's a beautiful beautiful gift to have now they also have a special grace and patience and mercy about them that especially flows out to those who are far from god so they they they, they just have this this well of, of understanding and grace um, that's very distinctive. Now, far too often, people who, have, who are gifted with evangelism are usually at odds with the local church, and this is really, really sad. Unfortunately, many pastors, unfortunately, my, my peers, my colleagues, often refer to these evangelists as rebels of the church, and there's, there is some truth to that because um, a lot of evangelists have not activated their, their calling and their gift rightly. But here, here's the good news. But when it is activated rightly, the evangelists, they are one of the most powerful instruments for the kingdom of God, especially for the local church. And here's why. Because when it's activated rightly, these individuals bring droves of people into the kingdom of God and into the local church because they are just drawn to those with messy stories and they want them to see the hope of Christ. And then they bring them into this beautiful church family where they can be grown into maturity. And so that is a beautiful, beautiful gift. They become literal ambassadors of the local church, drawing the hardest to reach near to God into safe waters so maybe just maybe god has given you that gift of evangelism maybe just maybe you are wired in a unique way that you just have a type of well of love and grace and mercy and desire to see those who are far from christ know god and then you bring them near to the safe waters of god's church we'll talk about this more next week let's talk about the next the next gift or office of pastoring okay Past pastors are the ones who guard the church. Track with me. Pastors are the one who guard the church. So, so what do we learn 
What have we learned so far? We've learned that apostles are the ones who govern the entire global church, right? Prophets are the ones who guide the church. Evangelists are the ones who gather the church. And pastors are the ones who guard the church. Okay? They guard the church. So what can we know more about this gift of being the pastorate? Now, this is one of the most familiar terms that we often talk about in, in church culture, right? Being, being a pastor. But what, what are they really? Because in today's culture, pastors have become so many things that are honestly nothing to do with God's design, and they're not biblical. So in a nutshell, for today, here's, here's how we think about it. Pastors are shepherds. Pastors are shepherds. And shepherds are charged with guarding, feeding, and hurting hurting the sheep and we as the people of god we are the sheep so whereas many people would run away from a wolf if you see wolves in nature our natural our natural inclination is to run away well a shepherd runs towards those wolves with their staff because they got to protect their flock their their herd their their cattle in that same way spiritually pastors run towards the wolves of adversity sin sickness enemies brokenness trials tribulations we as pastors we go after them so when the evangelist brings in those who are far from christ and they come in with all of their brokenness and all their sins pastors we run towards them to provide safe waters and prepare to guard protect and provide a place for healing growing and maturity pastors have an otherworldly concern and care to ensure the safety of their people they are courageous they're bold they're brave, yet they're humble and they're meek, understanding at all times that Jesus is the chief pastor or shepherd. Now, uh, personally for me, the gift of the pastor is one of the two major gifts that God has given me spiritually out of these five offices, okay? So pastoring is one of them. Um, and this is one of the ways I get to benefit the body of Christ. However, the, the gift of being a pastor is my secondary gift. Um, we're gonna explore my primary gift next. But for now, let's think about the gift of being a pastor the way we've laid out. Because maybe, just maybe, God's called you to be someone who guards the church. That when those who come in are broken, you have a radical desire to protect them, keep them safe, and to provide a safe place for them to heal. Now, let's look at this last gift or office of teachers, okay? Teachers are the ones who grow the church. Teachers are the ones who grow the church so let's let's review that before we go in a little in, um, in a little deeper so let's lay them out again apostles are the ones who govern the entire global church prophets are the ones who guide the entire church right then we have evangelists are the ones who gather the church pastors are the ones who guard the church and then finally teachers are the ones who grow the church so what can we know about this office and gift of being a teacher? So let me make it as simplistic yet faithful as possible. Individuals with the gift of teaching primarily do two things, mature and disciple people. They mature and they disciple people. So let's talk about this gift of teaching and let's kind of fillet it open a bit more since this is my primary gift. I wrote a more robust definition of how I think through the gift and the office of, of teaching. This is my primary gift. Here we go. It's on the screen for you. Teaching is the gift of taking a biblical concept that is true 
and breaking it down into chewable parts so that an individual can better understand and apply the wisdom of the Lord for their lives. It's the art of great explanation in a relevant way that moves individuals from information to relationship with God. Teachers fillet difficult concepts of the Christian life into understandable segments that a person can build upon. This is the gift of teaching. So we see this play out all the time, particularly in elementary schools, don't we? Teachers are charged with teaching mathematical concepts or linguistic concepts, and their whole aim is to break them down into understandable, chewable parts that the student can then interact with and grow in and then ultimately perform on their own. It doesn't remove the student's responsibility, right, to participate in the work or the study, but the teacher is making things consumable for them. So this is my primary gift that God's given me, the gift of teaching. Pastoring is my secondary gift. And it's super exciting, honestly, to go on this journey of discovering your gifts. And I remember going on that journey, and I'm excited for you to go on that journey. Which of these five, if not one or more of them, has God especially and equipped or um, supernaturally equipped you with? Now, there's so much more I want to say about the gift in the office of teaching, pastoring, being an apostle, prophecy, all of them. But for now, I want us to think well about these five different offices and gifts. Okay, so let's get ready to land the plane. So Jesus is the one who creates these five gifts or these five offices, and he gives them out as he chooses, right? You tracking? It's up to Jesus, not me, not you. We don't demand anything. Okay, so he gives one, he gives some two, he gives some three. God hands them out. Our job is to be grateful and to not waste whatever he gives us. So this isn't a time to be like, man, I want this or I want that. God gives what he gives. We just don't waste the gifts that God has given us. Now remember, what is the overarching purpose of these gifts? What is the purpose of being a pastor, teacher, evangelist, whatever, whichever one? Well, verse 12 in Ephesians explain that well. Let's look at that again. He has given the office of pastoring, teaching, evangelist, prophets, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Okay, finally, okay, so these are the organizational gifts and offices given to the church so that we can be healthy, so that we can do the work of Jesus's mission. Finally, how long are each of us called to be active in this mission as teachers and evangelists and prophets and apostles? How long do we do this? Well, remember verse 13 and 15 laid that out. Until we all obtain the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature into manhood and womanhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by waves carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. So this is how long we do this. This is how long we walk that out. We have this incredible, amazing opportunity. Because of Christ and his love, he died on the cross. He descended into hell. He paid for our sins and our transgressions, our past, present, and future sin. Hell couldn't keep him there. Rose from the grave. As he did that, he handed out good gifts. And he gave out primarily five gifts upon his church that we just looked at. And every one of us fit somehow supernaturally into these gift sets. So let me close with this.
today, you and I have the amazing opportunity to begin this conversation about our giftings, that we have the opportunity to choose whether we have to or that we get to participate in Jesus' mission for the glory of God. Next week, we're going to dive deeper and look at some more peripheral gifts that God's given to us as we keep kind of marching with these five primary gifts. Now, our part in all of this is to joyfully and to obediently utilize what God has given us in these gifts as we discover them, right? Every day with joy. God's part in it is to continue to fuel our gifts and to mature our gifts by the power of the Holy Spirit every day. And it's going to be for His glory and for our joy. And there's no better way for me to honor God than to use my gifts as I preach and teach and exhort the Word of God by finishing this conversation with all of us next week. I know these are trying times for all of us that we're having right now and social distancing and isolation, but may God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, use this time to take you on a radical journey in a way that you have not experienced before, where you discover who you are in light of Christ. Let's bow our heads and let's pray. Father God, I desire for every single person listening to this sermon to be radically, simply, yet supernaturally in Christ who you've called them to be. Lord, and a huge part of that is understanding who they are in you and what special gifts you have given them. So God, I pray that you would begin to use this sermon as an opening of the door conversation for their hearts. And that, Lord, as we prepare for next week to dive deeper into this conversation, that you would give us a spirit of openness, Lord, to what you have for us. I believe, Lord, that when your body of Christ comes together and we fully activate all of our gifts in these ways that you've designed, not only are you glorified, Lord, but we get to live in a type of satisfied, peaceful way, knowing that we're in the will of God. May we all find pleasure in doing so. It's in your beautiful name we pray. Amen.